0: How about now? Yeah. Come on. Good. Good, good. If you haven't listened to last week's message, do. Do listen. It was, it was amazing. It was our need for the baptism with the Holy Spirit and to be filled with God, to bear His image. And so if you haven't been there yet, uh, make plans to go there. you guys ever miss your exit on the highway? You're going, you're on the highway, you miss your exit, and then you look up and it says, next exit, seven miles. (laughs) Has that ever happened to you? Happens to me often. And I think, the whole seven miles, I'm just squirming. It's excruciating because I know that I'm going the wrong direction. But it's necessary to go that seven, hit the next exit, turn around, go back, get the right exit, and then be on my, be on your merry way. Yes, yes. I want to open that way because turn to your neighbor, say glad you're here. Glad you're here. Come back next week. Okay, good. This is a two part. This is a two part deal, and if you just are here for this week, then it's just gonna kind of feel like the seven miles trying to trying to get back the the right direction. All right. Next week is where we we get back on our exit and, and there's life and there's encouragement and there's joy. And it's not to say this is gonna be really heavy. It's just gonna be getting back to our right exit. Is that fair? All right, talk to me, engage me. When I say God knows your heart, what comes to mind? Come on, gut, somebody be bold. Honesty, what else? God knows your heart. First thing that comes to mind Bunch of chickens. Intimacy, what else? Heart is evil above all things. Above all things. True, vulnerability. True vulnerability. Transparency. Transparency. Yikes. Beautiful. Yikes. <laughs> all right. Good. Good start. Kind of all over the board a little bit. Um, there's a, I'm going to start right here. In Matthew 4, 6, and 7. I think it'll be up there for us. That is the place where the enemy comes to Jesus to tempt him in the wilderness, and he's already said, hey, you're hungry, turn, turn these stones into bread. And, and then he says this, if you're the son of God, some versions say, because you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Because it's written, he'll give his angels charge over you. In their hands, they'll bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. The reason I start there is because we're going to talk about the heart, and a part of the conversation about the heart is this. The enemy doesn't mind you and I knowing the Word of God. Doesn't bother him. He doesn't even mind us liking and loving the Word of God. Doesn't bother him. As long as he can twist it and tweak it and, and just, just, just cast a shadow on, on God's intent and God's heart on that word, he's okay with it. Strangely enough, this scripture, he quoted in context. You know, I looked it up out of the Psalms. It follows one right after the other. He'll give his angels charge over you. In in, in their hands, they'll bear you up lest you dash your foot against stone. He quoted it in context. The problem was, what he was trying to get Jesus to do was take that word and just apply it to whatever he wanted. In this case... Apply it to something reckless, apply it to something selfish, and apply it to jumping off the pinnacle of this temple to get, and Pastor Alex has told us this before, right? He said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom, to get what God had for him to get, just to get it his own way, right? And so it's important I start here because this this God knowing your heart, this God knowing my heart can kind of go down this same direction. Does God know the heart? Yes. Yes. Scripture says God looks at the heart. Yes? So, so that's really not what, we're, not what we're debating. It's really not what we're challenging. You know, where we're going is, what does that mean? What does that mean for you and I? What are, what are the implications? And more importantly today, what does it not mean? Because as long as it's twisted, as long as it's misrepresented for us, then, then we'll be focused in the wrong place. And we won't be able to walk out all that the Father intends. With me so far? Okay, so turn over to Matthew 5. It's interesting that Nyla already mentioned it. In Matthew 5, we're gonna look at a couple of statements. And this will show us just how much the, the devil does this and just how good he is at this game. So in Matthew 5, starting in verse 21, I'm going to go through these very quickly, but Jesus, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes through these statements, and basically, this is what he says: You've heard it said, this, but I tell you, it's really this. You've always thought it was this, but I'm telling you, it's something entirely different. Okay, and so, so he goes through six, and I'm just going to read them. Just take them in. You've heard that it was said to those of old, "You shall not murder." And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. 27, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 31, furthermore, it's been said, whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces this wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. <clears throat> Let me give that one some context because I know this, uh, this affects many people in this room. Let me give that one some context. That is spoken in a context of people and even the priest of God divorcing and remarrying whoever they wanted to have sex with. And that's also the context that the Lord shares, I hate divorce in that context, and so again, you have to see that for for what it is, Um, take it in context, 33, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord, but I say to you, don't swear at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, it's his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, it's the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, let your yes be yes, and your no, no whatever's more than these is from the evil one. 38, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So what you have going on in Matthew 5 is a group of leadership that has taken the law of God and, and known, known it, and in most cases quoted it, right to the people, but they've, they've missed the heart of God on the matter. And so it's interesting when you go in and look at these, you, you see about three that are, that are quoted correctly from, from Old Covenant, and you see about three that aren't there at all. They were just traditions of men. That's why, I'll let, you, I'll let you go do the research on your own. But that's why Jesus said, your traditions make the word of God of no effect. And you've elevated them higher. So what the, the Pharisees particularly did was they added to Moses 613 laws, another, I don't know, over a grand, 12, 13, 14, 1500 laws. Um, and then they set their traditions on par with the Mosaic law um, as far as authority. And so much of what Jesus is doing is is just blowing up that boat um, as far as their tradition. But I want to take the time to go through that to say this. This is what the enemy does, and he, he does it very well. He will, he will take Scripture and he'll tweak it just a little bit. And so here's what's comforting. Every single one of us in this room, there's half-truths that we're believing Right, and the Lord's so faithful in this process. I love that song we sang earlier, Michael, you know, about, about the process. I bow my knee, I surrender, and I say yes to the process because the Lord has to walk us through some of these things, and he hasn't changed y'all. He does the same thing. He says, you've, you've heard it said. You've understood it this way, maybe for years and years, but I'm gonna shed light on the heart of God. And so that's kind of what I want to do today as far as, as far as this, this God knowing our heart. You good? All right. All right. Let's, let's, let's not turn to yet. Um, Just look up on the screen and you can bring up that, that snippet, if you will, Kim, of 1 Samuel 16, 7. The snippet. The first one, the first one on my sheet. Did you get the snippet? All right, we don't have a snippet. That's okay. Here's a snippet. The Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Now, before I put the scripture up there, if I would have said, hey, somebody quote, somebody quote whatever you can of, of that scripture about God looking at the heart. Most of us, most of us would have said, man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart, right? And that's really all we would have had of that verse. And so that's what we take and that's what we run with. Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. You guys with me? Tell me I'm not the only one. Yep. All right, so, so, so most of my life, that's really all I knew of this verse. And some of you will have larger context on what's going on in 1 Samuel 16, um, and, and many of us won't. So, you guys are gonna have to talk to me this morning. Let me know I'm not alone. Most of my life, based on that right there, Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. This is what I understood that to mean. Even when I miss it, if my intention is good, God will have mercy. God will excuse. God will justify. If you're with me, and that is your understanding of what this means today, or that's been your understanding of what this verse means for years, say, that's me. Okay, good. All right, Lord, we heard you. Heard you on the message. Perfect. For most of my life, that's what I thought. God looks at intention. God looks at, God looks at motivation. God looks at, even when I blow it, God knows I didn't want to blow it. I wanted to get it right. Even when I don't do, I want to do. And and that has weight with the Father. That means something to the Father. He'll see that. He looks at the heart. He looks at my intention. And He will He will excuse from that place. I'm so glad I'm not the only one who was there for so long. But the Lord's walking through this process and saying, This is this is what you've this is what you've heard, but this is this is what it really means. And some of us, y'all, the reason we're there is because we've heard it, we've heard it preached wrong you know, for so long. Others of us, the reason that we're there is because we don't want to change, right? Am I the only one in the building with an aversion to change? We, we really don't want to change. And so as long as we can convince ourselves that our, our, our intent, even when we blow it, our intent matters to God, then, then we don't really need to change because, because the Father's looking at our intent. He looks at the heart. <laughs> Brock I love your I love your response first 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 gut reaction God God knows your heart yikes it's actually it's actually very it's actually very scriptural but before we go there I looked I looked high and low because it's I take the responsibility so seriously to to rightly divide the word before you guys you can ask Robert Britt I was asking him to pray for me this morning as, and this is what I said. I just want to rightly divide the word. So I looked high and low. Father, is there a, is there a, is there a place that I can go to in Scripture and, and really back that you do look at intent, you know? And you will excuse if, if intention is, is good, even, even if we miss, is, is there a place? And so I've been talking to people. I've been asking. I've been searching the Scripture. And I, I finally found one that, that might get us close, and you're going, Brandon, you're, you're refuting your own sermon here. I know, right? I'm doing it because I want you to know that I didn't approach the word of God with an agenda and just bend it toward what I want to say. I could easily do that. I could have easily left this passage that we're about to talk about out, but it would not have been honoring of the Lord, and it would not have been honoring of you for me to do that, right? So turn over to Matthew 12. Let's talk through it. I found one, I found one scripture, y'all, one passage that I think can get us close to, man, Lord, you, yeah, you, you might justify wrong action based on good intent, one. If you can find another, I would love to hear from you after I preach this, not between first service and second service, by the way, that just messes me up, but after I preach this. So go over, that's funny right there. Go over to Matthew 12 and let's look at it. All right, y'all, I'm gonna walk through this quickly. I got a lot to cover. <clears throat> Matthew 12, 1, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. But he said to him, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest, or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you'd known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. <clears throat> now I think we can look at that. I think we can look at that and go, all right, Lord, obedience to you and your law it's not really important because we can see right here where your your law was ignored and 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 jesus is quoting it and and jesus is even using it to to back what what his disciples are doing picking grain on the sabbath day to to justify that action and he and and he mentions david and then he mentions priest that profane the sabbath but i think we have to be careful and I can lose, I can lose you in the weeds, you and me both in the weeds on this verse. It's it's complicated, y'all. There's a lot going on here, right? And so so don't oversimplify it. What I'll, I'm going to point out a couple things, and basically where I'm going to leave this is, I'll give it, I'll give it a little bit of room, and I think you should too. So so you're not going to hear me stand up here and just make completely blanket statements today because I'm opening up with this right here, and I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it some room, right? It's kind of like the message that Pastor Alex preached two weeks ago, I believe, where he didn't get up here and feel the need to give us answers. And I love that. And that was so powerful. You wanna know why? Because God's huge. And we're not gonna have the answers. We're not gonna know it all. It's okay to have this kind of gray space that we don't understand. And just trust him there. Just depend on him there, Nyla, which is prosperity. First of all, them saying what the disciples were doing on the Sabbath, picking, picking grain, you can't find that in the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law said don't harvest. Don't harvest on the, on the Sabbath day. And so compare the work of harvesting a, a cornfield versus the work of going through and, and picking off a few, few kernels. That's what they were doing. So, so that kind of falls apart right there. But that was based on their tradition. But when the Lord goes in, he starts talking about David eating the showbread, which was, was, was only for the priest. The first thing we need to see is, is David, David's a little bit special here, y'all. He, he operated in some New Testament realities, New Covenant realities. He, he operated in that prophet, priest, king role. Um, and so you have, to, you have to keep that in mind. I don't want to say a different, different set of rules, but close. You have to keep that in mind. But also, I'll say this. How do we know, based on this verse right here, that God approved of what David did? Do we know that because the Lord just didn't call him out on it? Do we, he was hungry. Do we, but I'm talking about God approving or God excusing just because God didn't strike him down or just because God didn't tear a kingdom away from him like he did from Saul or judge Uzziah, King Uzziah, who acted in a priestly role and got leprosy. There's a lot of sin in your life. There's a lot of sin in my life, a lot of misses that, that God doesn't judge in the moment. It doesn't mean he's okay with it. And so, so be careful right there just in that place. Give that some room. And this is why I'm saying it because, because I think a part of what's going on in this verse is Jesus is calling out a double standard of the Pharisees. And this is what he's doing. You're going you're gonna to say that my disciples are violating the Sabbath because they're, they're walking through picking a couple of heads of grain? What about, what about David, your, your hero? David, you're one that you put on a pedestal who clearly violated the Sabbath. Clearly violated Mosaic law. And it's almost saying, you wanna talk about this? Let's talk about David. But they don't want to. And so there's a double standard there. And then you go into what he says about the priest. So what he says about the priest is, is this. I know there's some gray space here, y'all. It's okay. Okay. The Lord will walk us through it. <clears throat> then he says, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? So I did some reading on that passage and, and, and this one, you can, you can simplify down a good bit. Take today. This will be more of a Sabbath for you than it is for me. Why? I'm preaching, right? Our Sundays are more of a Sabbath for us than they are for Pastor Alex. Why? Because he's in temple service, We're we're in temple service, and so when you think about the priests, the priests were required to offer two sacrifices on every Sabbath, and so they had to get the animals, kill the animals, divide the animals, do all the cleaning, do the sacrifices, get rid of the waste, all of that, and so basically what he's saying is the Sabbath, the same Sabbath rules don't apply to the priest because they're in temple service. Now, if anyone else who's not a priest would be doing all those things or doing work on the Sabbath, they would come under that that law. Do you guys see that? It's important. And then Jesus turns around and says this, one greater than the temples here. Talking about himself, right? And so this is not God just excusing based on good intention. This This is God saying, There's a a different standard for those that are in temple service, and by the way, these right here, these innocent that you're condemning, they're in the greatest temple service, which is my body. Do you guys see that? Hopefully that'll help you navigate it. Now, here's the bigger thing that I want to say, and the reason I spent so much time on this verse. Here's the bigger thing I want to say. Most of the time in my life, when I'm hoping my good intentions justify my sin, they are not. They're not even close to temple service. I'm not serving the Lord. I'm serving me. Right? right? So that falls apart right there. And the second thing I'll say, and I know this is, I know this is kind of at you a little bit, y'all, but it's it's got love all over it. Second thing I'll say is this. Why does having a doctrine of good intentions mean so much to us that we would build it on one passage? You heard me. Right? Why are we searching so hard to build a doctrine, a kingdom of good intentions that, that even if this one passage said it, we would, we would build an entire life on that? Because we want to. We want to. I want to? Somebody say, Brandon, that's transparent. I want to. I want to be able to do the wrong thing and have God excuse me because I wanted to do the right thing. And that, most people that you will meet, many of us in this room and most people that you will meet, that is what they will think God knows my heart means. And after today, you're gonna to be able to walk different. And after today, you're gonna to be able to minister different. Isn't that exciting? After today, you're gonna to be more equipped to, to tear down lies and establish truth. I love that. Here's what the Lord says in, in John eight 32. You'll know truth and truth will make you free. I love that. That's what we're doing today. So, good so far? (laughs) Here is, here is, golly. All right, Brock, here's a couple of scriptures of what the Lord says about the heart. This is what made you say, yikes. Let me see Genesis 6, 5, if I can. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Somebody say, yikes. Yikes. How about Jeremiah 17, 9? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end, it leads to death. John 2, 24, Jesus knew the hearts of all men, and he he gave himself to none of them. That's it for just a minute. And so looking to our heart for justification, it's not smart. (laughs) It's just just not a good idea. You know, not when the Lord speaks about the heart the way that he does. There's hope here, and we're gonna get to it in just a second, but before we do, I'll say this, Luke 6.43 is is another one because again, let me just read it. For a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his, his, his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, if out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, how much more out of the abundance of the heart does the, the body do? Are you guys with me? This is this is freeing. This is liberating. When you can realize how full of it you have a tendency to be, it'll set you free. Can I say that on camera? Okay, we might need to edit that piece. I'll get it right in a second service. When you realize how deceitful your heart is and how it will convince you of what a good person you are, it will set you free. It'll set you free. And here's the Lord saying, hey, good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. Bad actions, bad heart. Give, give, your, give your actions room. Your, your actions will actually define your heart very accurately. If you'll watch your actions, you'll listen to your actions, if you'll watch your mouth, if you'll listen to your words. They will tell you where your heart really is. I was walking on the beach on a staff retreat one year, and the Lord Lord said this, and it's changed my life. I was walking, I was talking to him, and I was saying, Lord, you know, there's really these two areas where I'm still struggling, and I really don't want to be struggling next year. And he said this, Brandon, why don't you stop telling people this is where you're struggling and just tell people this is where you're continually choosing to disobey me? So... If it kind of feels like I'm taking you guys through the fire, like blame him. (laughs) Stop telling people this is a struggle for you and just tell them this is where you're continuing to choose to disobey me. And what he was saying is, hey kiddo, newsflash, you're not struggling. This is not a struggle. You're good right here. You're comfortable right here. You have no desire to move from this place. So call a spade a spade. And I love that. I love that about God the Father. Call a spade a spade. Because there's no healing until we do that. You know, you guys said transparency. You guys said vulnerability. Being real, being raw. That's the place where healing starts. So we have to realize how deceptive our heart can be. I'm going to read you something from a a pastor of a church in Texas that I read and I liked. When I think about the fact that God knows my heart. It drives me to my knees and makes me pray, as David did. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. The realization that God knows my heart makes me realize what a wretch I am. It makes me so thankful for the blood of Jesus. It makes me look not to my heart for justification, but to the cross for justification. I have sinned outwardly and I have sinned inwardly. The only hope I have is Jesus. Thank you, Pastor of Church in Texas. <clears throat> All right, go over to Romans 7, about to show you a passage um, about Paul's struggle, and and hopefully it means as much to you as it did me reading it this time. Good so far? All right, remember that seven-mile stretch I talked about, right? Like, I know, I know we're pushing, I know we're pushing, I know we're like, oh my gosh, this is is a struggle. It's okay, Turns, turns coming. Romans 7, Are you there? How many of you guys have Bibles? If you have a Bible, like, wave at me. That's really encouraging. Come on. Pastor Alex, they're listening to you. That's good. All right, Romans 7. Let's pick it up in 15. Paul says this. What I'm doing, I do not understand. What I will to do, that I do not practice. What I hate, that I do. Listen, stop right here, look at me. Does that sound like a place of good intention? Talk to me. Good intention, right? Oh my goodness, good intention. The thing that I want to do, I don't do that. The thing that I hate, that's what I do. His intention is spectacular. (laughs) Listen to how many times he says it. Now you know what you're listening for. If then, I do what I will not to do. I agree with the law that it's good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. Did you hear it? To will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. The good that I will to do, I do not do. The evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. The one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members. Warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Stop! Look at me. We look at a person and say, "I know their I know their actions don't line up, but Johnny's a good guy." It's the exact place Paul just described. A place of good intention without being able to do it. A place of good intention without righteous action. And so what we call a good person, a good-hearted person, Paul says this, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? A little bit different. Did you guys get it? The state that we call good, which is good intention, and we look for God to justify us by, which is good intention, Paul calls wretched. The Spirit of God inspiring the words of Paul calls wretched, a body of death. And he says, I need rescue. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Who's going to deliver me from this place of doing what I hate and not doing what I love? This is what he's saying. Who's going to deliver me from this place of good intentions? Do you guys hear that? Let me just say this real quick about good intentions. Once you do it, right? If I intend to go home and, and, and watch football this afternoon, and that is my intention, right? It's an intention until it happens. But once it happens, it's not a, it's not a place of intention anymore, right? And so, so <laughs> my wife's saying it really is, y'all, like he's gonna go home and watch football, right? It, once you carry it out, the place of, of good intention goes away. And so, so, we want God to justify us On a place that never happens, because if it happens, it's not intention anymore. We want the doctrine, y'all. I want the doctrine because I don't want to be held accountable to change. I don't want to be held accountable to believe that grace is really God's spirit moving in me, accomplishing more than I can do on my own. I don't want to. I don't want to have to believe that the power of God is really, the gospel is really the power of God to save every aspect of my life. I don't want to have to believe that God can actually empower holiness and God can actually empower me to, to, to speak to my wife the right way and, 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 and stop yelling at my kids and empower me to father the right way or, or submit, to, submit to my boss, you know, the right way. I don't want to believe that God can actually empower me to that place. So let me just stay broken right there and the whole time say, Lord, you know my heart. 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 Right. I know that's strong, gang. I'm with you. I'm in the fire with you. I know that's strong, but that will set us free when we can go, you know what, Lord? My good intentions really don't mean much to you at all. That, that can set us free. That's right. Why? Because we'll have to abandon them. We'll have to leave them. We'll actually have to start stepping into what God calls us to because actually moving into it and executing on it is the only thing that matters because we don't have good intentions to lean on anymore. It's going to propel us into righteousness. It's going to propel us into holiness when we recognize our good intentions are worthless. Help us, Lord. Give us vision. Give us courage to move to this place. Here's Here's the truth. If good intentions were valuable... (laughs) Paul, Paul was the man. He said, every time, every time I do that thing, man, I hate it on the inside. Every time I fail to do that thing, man, I want to. My heart is to do that thing. Can't you hear, can't you hear Paul? Like, man, I really want to get in the word. Man, I really want to serve. Man, I really want to give. Man, I really want to live sacrificially. I just I don't have the ability to carry it out. Man, I really want to stop being a self-centered, condescending jerk that thinks he's better than everybody else, but I just, I just don't have the ability to, to carry it out. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord the one who moves me past the place of good intention. Come on, y'all. Are you alive? Are you awake this morning? I thank God. He's the one. He's the game changer. He's the one that can just move me from a place of, oh, I really want to be that way, but I can't do anything about it. Oh, I really don't want to be that way, but I can't do anything about it. I thank God through Jesus Christ. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. Listen, there is, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who are those people who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What is the law of sin and death? Good intention. What is the law of sin and death? I want to do it, but I can't. I don't want to do it, but I still do. That's what living according to the flesh looks like. Thank you, Lord. You're our rescue. You're our deliverer right there. You're the one that can actually empower us to carry it out. Let me touch on 1 Samuel 16 real quick. And then Matthew 6. And then we'll go. And you got the week to gear up for round two. It's gonna be good. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, what's going on? What's going on in 1 Samuel 15 is, is King Saul just had the kingdom stripped away from him, ripped away from him. And, and what happened is, is the Lord through Samuel said, said, Saul, wipe out the Amalekites. Kill them all. Men, women, children, animals, kill everything. And, and, and they went to battle and Samuel came and Saul came out to greet him and said, I've obeyed the Lord in everything. And Samuel said, why do I hear the bleeding of, of the sheep? Why do I hear the animals? And he said, well, we, we kept some of the best to, to sacrifice to the Lord. What's that sound like? Come on, y'all. You got it this morning. Sounds like good intention, doesn't it? Sounds like God knows my heart. Sounds like I know the Lord said that, but, but I think this is better and God will understand. You know why it sounds like that? Because that's exactly what it was. And so you get, you get King Saul in a desperate place, you know, giving into the fear of man, wanting to be honored in front of people because that's what he was about. And Samuel walks away and he reaches out and he, he tears his robe. And Samuel says, just like you tore this robe, God's tearing the kingdom away from you. And he's going to give it to one who's better than you. Read it. It's there. And so it's so interesting to me that in 1 Samuel 16, which is man, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, it's coming on the heels of a misapplication of that very thing which is King Saul saying, the Lord will understand. He did understand, and he tore a kingdom away from his chosen one. And so, so you have God coming to Samuel and saying, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? Get up. Get busy. Let's go anoint the one that I've chosen. Go to, go to Jesse's house. Have a dinner. Have a sacrifice. Tell him to bring his sons. And, and Samuel sees Eliab, and he says, this is the one. I know, Lord. This is the one you've chosen. And 1 Samuel 16, 7 is the Lord's response to that. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And I've refused him. See, we use it as a qualification when the scriptures that we have to lean on is God disqualifying people based on their heart. That's why Brock says yikes. A man who knows the word. I love you for that. So he marches through all seven of the brothers. And then, do you have any more kids? Well, yeah, I have my youngest over there in the field. And then David comes, and, and he anoints him. But this is what I want us to hear. The Lord said, I know the outside looks good, Samuel, but I look deeper. I look to the heart, and his heart is garbage. So I've rejected him. Right? I know that's a little heavy. Take it up with the Lord, it's what scripture says. Now go over to Matthew six. Let me just say this while you turn. There's ditches everywhere. It's not that the Lord doesn't value action and he he just looks at the heart. When he says man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart, God looks at the outward appearance too. He also looks at the heart. You could, you could rise them to an equal place of importance, which is exactly where they are with the Father. I was thinking about this this morning, and I've said this before, but it bears repeating. If we, if we held God the Father to the same standard we want him to hold us to, then we would say, Lord, your actions don't have to, they don't have to be good toward me. Just let your heart be good toward me, and that'll be enough. Just let your intention be good toward me. You don't actually have to carry it out Do you see how ridiculous it is when I do that? Y'all come on, actions matter. Holiness matters. Doing the right thing matters. Doing it with the right heart matters. So you take both of them and go, equal importance, just like they are to the Father. Right motive, 100% important to him. Right execution, 100% important to him. Now. That's not a law statement, and that's not a you-have-to-be-perfect-for-the-blessing-of-God statement. That is a don't-be-lazy statement. Don't, don't, Don't justify sin. When we miss, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Matthew 6. Again, this is God looking at the heart, all right? I'll be done in five. You guys bear with me. This is God looking at the heart. 6-1, take, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 5, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. 16, moreover, when you fast, Do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly I say to you they have their reward. Next week we're going to get into this right here. But when you give, when you pray, when you fast. This week, I just want you to divorce a kingdom of good intentions altogether. So Brandon, what you've been saying for the last 35 minutes, divorce a kingdom of good intention altogether. And when you do that, and when I do that, then we'll make Righteous action the priority. And then we'll have to lean into the Spirit of God to empower us like we never have before in our lives when we make righteous action the priority. And the more that righteous action becomes the priority, then we can really have this God looks at the heart conversation because God is not looking to disqualify you. God is looking to qualify you. He's just not looking to qualify your sin. He's looking to qualify your righteousness. He's looking to qualify my righteousness. When you pray, when you give, when you fast. And so the more kingdom alignment that we have in our action, the more, the more room we have to have the conversation that was about righteous action from the very beginning, which is God looks at the heart. You guys stand with me? I'm gonna quote one scripture. We're gonna pray. Matthew 5.16 says this. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good intentions Eh. come on y'all simple message today let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father who's in heaven father in the name of jesus i bless my family today I thank you for your word, God. Continue to to unpack it. Continue to talk to us as we go and teach us, Father. I pray that we would be a people that would search the scriptures to see if what's been preached is is right and true and aligns with you. You are a God who looks at the heart. And the enemy's twisted that for far too long and had us apply it to our sinfulness rather than our righteousness to our misses rather than to our hits i thank you for that call father i thank you that the gospel is the power of god i thank you that paul said who will deliver me from this place of good intention and then he told us who that one was and it's you lord jesus and so i pray that there would be a change of heart and mind today that we would begin to walk out which would be this. You are looking at our heart. You're just looking at it in the process of our righteous actions. And so Father, as I pray before, I pray again. Help us embrace your call for us to be holy in all of our conduct. And then help us be people of the heart from that place. I thank you for that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.